All right. Can you all hear me okay? That's all right. Thank you, Steve, for reading Psalm 73. And that's where we'll be uh, later on for our main passage. But it's going to take me a while to get there tonight. Um, But all these other verses that I read are going to be short. And I'm not going to comment very much on them. And so it might be best if you just listen to that part and not try to page through the different places. But it's totally up to you. I chose Psalm 73 tonight because it has a verse in it, verse 26, that contains the two little words, but God. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My idea uh, for preparing a devotional for an elder meeting, which I did for June, it was my turn, Um, but my idea was to prepare one on but God, and that idea came actually during the reading of Genesis on Sunday mornings here at Newton Bible. And I'm very thankful uh, that we read Scripture, not just what Matt's going to preach on, but we read through a book, and now we're doing Colossians. Well, as we were reading through Genesis, I noticed a number of verses that contained the words, but God. I was particularly struck towards the end of Genesis on the account of Joseph, or in the account of Joseph. Genesis 50, 20 says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph, talking to his brothers, that God um, meant meant it for good. Another account of Joseph was in Genesis 45, 7 to 8. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And that especially struck me. Well, those verses, those but God verses in Genesis are actually not my favorite one. And you probably can guess from my love of creation and the first 11 chapters of Genesis that my favorite but God passage is Genesis 8.1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Um, before we get to Genesis 8.1 and the previous chapters, evil was on man's mind continually. Noah and the animals were in a pickle. I mean, yeah, God provided an ark, but they were floating aimlessly, according humanly speaking. They were floating aimlessly, So they were pretty much in dire straits. Um, That God remembered Noah and the animals. That chapter 8, verse 1 is a summit, or what I call the peak of the flood account. Before 
chapter 8, 1, there were 197 days recorded of rain events from the waters of the deep opening up to the rain stopping. After chapter 8, 1, there's 197 days till the waters totally subside, started, starting by God sending a wind and then it gradually drying out. God remembered Noah. That doesn't mean that God had forgotten him. I want to make that clear. That word remembered probably isn't the best translation there. It probably means more like the idea that God chose to work in Noah and the animals' behalf, and it was for their good. Well, the significance of but God to me probably started actually when I was a little boy. You see, when I was four or five years old, we moved from Newton out to the Unruh family farm where Carlin and Rachel live now. And uh, I was probably four or five. And we moved into an old farmhouse of my grandparents who moved to Walton, the great town of Walton. And uh, that old farmhouse was a rickety old one. I remember the vents in the floor of my bedroom upstairs where hot air would siphon through or hot air rises, so it would come up to try to keep me warm in the winter um, against all the breezes that were coming through the window in my bedroom. And it was also those vents where I could take my sister Melanie's little toys if they were small enough and drop them through. And, you know, where'd they go? Well, that was fun. <laughs> I, I wasn't the best of little boys. Um, I also remember that we didn't have, uh, I don't know for sure, but we, we did not have, we did not take our baths in the house. We had to go out to a utility room, so we had to go outside briefly. We had to heat the water that we wanted to warm up our bath water with, and that was quite a case. I learned to take short baths doing that. But more significantly for tonight, there were two plaques on the wall that my mom had uh, the one in the living room where I did most of my playing with my Tonka trucks and John Deere tractors was one that said that in all things he might have the preeminence. And the other one I remember was that God. It's all it had on it. The one with the word preeminence, I don't know if I ever understood that while I lived in that house. And the one said, but God was probably the first two words that I learned to read. So I probably looked at those many, many, many times. James Montgomery Boyce, it, um, he has one of my favorite uh, quotes regarding the words, but God. And he says, I quote, may I put it quite simply, if you understand these two words, but God, they will save your soul. If you recall them daily and live by them, they will transform your life completely. But God is a phrase that highlights the grace of God on one hand against man's sinfulness or the backdrop of sin 
man's mess-ups on the other hand. If you could find the verses that contain but God to the left of the but God, left for you is over here, or before but God, all seems lost. There's disobedience, there's rebellion, there's hopelessness, there's darkness, there's death, and man is fearing. There could be many other things beyond that. But to the right of but God, after God intervenes, there is hope, there is salvation almost every time, some type of saving. There's mercy, life, grace, justice, and righteousness. God intervenes, that God. The two little words uh, are just three letters each. The word but can be translated in contrast. Some of your Bible translations may say nevertheless in certain instances or however. And the word God, we all know, is the only true God um, Elohim, Jehovah, tonight the Buznitz family singers saying El Shaddai, and I appreciate that. And isn't it neat how God orchestrates plans on Sundays? This morning, we, our main thrust of the morning was the names of God as we sang tonight. They sang that. I'm speaking on Bet God. Um, God Almighty, El Shaddai. If I was in a Sunday school class with you, I would take time to ask, what are your favorite, best known, but God verses in the Bible? There's 44 of them, actually. Um, six in Genesis that we read through. Probably many of you would say Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or maybe Ephesians 2.4-5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In that passage, of course, and that's all very precious to us because it's a gospel passage. We were all dead in our trespasses. We had passions of our flesh. We were children of wrath, but God. He made us alive together with Christ. Another one related to the gospel message is Acts 13, 28 to 30. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Before the but God, they had crucified Christ. After the but God, he was resurrected and was seen by many and is now at the right hand of the Father. 
You remember Dr. Ellen this spring? Wasn't that a good time? And every once in a while, or quite often, he would say, okay, now it's your turn. And he'd give you three or five minutes to talk things over with someone near you. Well, you get that opportunity tonight. So you've got to think, we've gone through nine, seven or nine, I can't remember. We've done seven about God passages so far. So you can't use Noah. You can't use those three gospel ones. You can't use Joseph. But are there some other bet God statements in the Bible or verses that you remember? You don't have to have the passage, but maybe the person it was involved with. Maybe the Bible character that was involved with. So I'm going to give you three minutes. I'm going to get a drink here because of my throat. And uh, just share with those around you some verse. See if you can think of 10 of them. I don't know. Well, it's good to hear some talking going on and some digging and hope you found one or two at least. It's not, it's not too hard to find a list of the 44. You can, you know, with technology, you can Google it um, and you can probably find some site that has listed the 44 bet God verses in scripture and then 
I've looked at them and picked out a few others that I wanted to mention kind of randomly, but uh, I don't know if you thought of any of these. So I'll, I'll mention four or five others, and then we'll get to Psalm 73 and Asaph and uh, the surroundings of that bat God statement. One of the ones that you might have remembered was 1 Samuel 23, 14, regarding David running from Saul. Anyone think of that one? Okay, we got had one, actually. Good. I'll read it. It says, and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. That was the account where David and his 600 men were running from Saul and hiding and all of that. And Saul had so many opportunities to take him out, almost seemingly, why didn't that happen? But it was that God did not give him into his hand. Um, Nehemiah 9, 16 and 17 is an encouraging one. Um, it's a little bit long, but I, I will read it. It's referring to Israel and their sin against God and their murmuring. It says, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive. I know that's not quite a but God right together, but it's included in the but God statements. So you're gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. 2 Corinthians 7, 5 to 6, I think Paul is involved in a number of that God uh, situations. That passage says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. That God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. That's encouraging. Paul had been persecuted. He was overwhelmed. He was wore out. It says he was fearful or they were fearful. But God comforted him by the coming of Titus. Maybe what you have coming up this week brings you fear. Maybe you don't know how in the world you can get all this done in this coming week that's on your plate. But God comfort and comfort. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-9 is another encouraging one. Um, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. It's encouragement to all of us who are involved in ministry, maybe teaching, discipling, teaching Bible school, uh, children's time downstairs, small group, 
It's God that gives the growth. I think any of us who've been in teaching or ministering very long, uh, there's those that you wondered, was I, were they hearing anything? And then years later, I'm sure Don, Don back there could share many stories. Years later, that same boy that sat in your class and wasn't getting it comes back and says, thank you for caring about me and loving me and uh, ministering to me. It's, you never know what word you said or what pat on the back, what that can mean. One other one before we get to Psalm 73 is Philippians 2.27. This is regarding Epaphroditus. Paul is speaking about that. He says, indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Another word of encouragement for those who are dealing with a doctor's prognosis or um, some physical thing in your life. So these but God verses are meant to be an encouragement to us, and it's worth our study to go back to them and see how God worked in all these situations. Look at what occurred before the words about God and what God did, and it can be encouraging. Let's turn to Psalm 73, if you aren't there already. I look at this chapter as a testimony of Asaph, and it's a testimony uh, regarding what God had done, and the term that, when when the Holy Spirit inspired it, it, the but God statement was there in verse 26. And Asaph, we have to remember, was like a choir director, we'd call him a worship leader. He was in service, serving the Lord during the time of David and Solomon probably. But Asaph in Psalm 73 wrestles with the question, why do the wicked get material blessings while he is struggling? Asaph doesn't get it. To us, it would be um, things like, why didn't I get the rain? And they did two miles down the road. Why did I get hail on my crops? and they didn't. Why did he get a promotion, and I didn't? Why did they have a nicer boat? You know, on and on and on and on. Well, Asaph was concerned about the wicked and their lot in life compared to his. And so in verses 1 to 3, I'm going to read parts of this passage again, just to make a few points. Um, Verses 1 to 3, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. 
But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, Asaph admits that God has been good to Israel in verse 1. And he knows that. He knows the word. He, he's leading the choir in what we would call worship in the tabernacle. Um, but it, what his knowledge is of God's goodness to Israel doesn't jive with what he sees going on, what his own feelings are and his own observations of the wicked prospering. So Asaph knows God's word, but some of his observations didn't seem to align with what was actually happening, at least from his perspective, from the lenses that he was looking at life through. In verses 4 to 12, he takes nine verses there to recount the blessings that he sees the wicked having. Some examples of that are in verse 5. He says, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. And he goes on and on and on. In verse 12, he says, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. He doesn't quite get it. And then in verses 13 to 16, Asaph turns to murmuring. That's what I I would call it. He murmurs. Uh, He says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I talked earlier about how God kind of orchestrates plans on Sunday morning, and I didn't know that Tom was going to speak on what he did this morning and how it relates to this account of Asaph. But Tom mentioned that at times we get disillusioned and wonder, where is God? Do you remember Tom talking about that? Uh, thinking that somehow God owes us something for all that we can do for him. I'm just putting it in my terms now. Wasn't Asaph in that same condition? He was disillusioned with who God was compared to his, where he, who he was and who the wicked were. Thinking that somehow... Asaph must have thought that God somehow must have owed him some blessings. After all, look what he was doing for God. Some commentators refer to this time in Asaph's life as a but me attitude instead of a but God attitude. And I can fall in that pretty easily. Thankful Paula isn't up here talking, so. But then we have a wonderful verse in verse 17. 
and almost really the highlight of the chapter, says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end, or the end of the wicked. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. That's an until then statement. Before he went into the sanctuary of the Lord, where was Asaph at? He was murmuring to God, complaining about all that he was doing and not getting anywhere. And then afterwards, after he went to the sanctuary of God, he said, then I discerned the end of the wicked. So let's talk about that a little bit. The sanctuary of God would have been the tabernacle in those days, the house of God, similar to our church, although not, you know, the, not the same. Same idea. The word would have been read there. There would have been a group of believers seeking to worship God. And so when Asaph, Asaph went to the sanctuary of God, that's what happened. Things changed. I often wonder, as I've studied that this, this passage this week, was what was read. What turned his thoughts around? Maybe what was sung, which would have been basically directly God's word. So was it the account of Abraham or some account of Joshua or David who had very similar thoughts to what Asaph is going through in, in Psalm 73? Almost exact, where David was wondering where, why the wicked are prospering and why they aren't getting judged. Maybe he read that and read what David figured out from that. This morning, Tom used the term, we need to remind ourselves, many, he used it many times, we need to remind ourselves of this. He had that list of reminders. And I was thinking as he was preaching this morning and think back to our elder prayer times on Sunday morning, and we often, uh, I'd say almost every Sunday, one of the elders prays for you and prays for us as leaders that as we come together this, this morning or today and worship God, that um, it would be a time of reminding us who God is and who in relationship to ourselves. And we'd be able to forget about all the cares of the week. And wasn't that happen what, what happened with Asaph when he went to the tabernacle? It's great to meet together uh, as a church body. 
we're all gone sometimes. We go to visit family. We go on vacation. And uh, for me, I can honestly say that even like three Sundays ago, we were in Tulsa at our niece's church. And it wasn't very encouraging being at that church, but we were there for her. Uh, I can tell you if you ask me. It's Episcopal Church. Um, So quite enlightening. But um, I miss being here. And just being gone one or two weeks, I feel out of it with what's what's going on. And um, I just miss, miss when we're not here. Well, after he goes to the tabernacle of God. In verses 18 to 25, Asaph starts to apply the truth of God's word. He already knew it. That's what's amazing about this story. He knew it, just like we know it, and we still get in the same predicament as Asaph. He just needed an attitude check. He needed to see again things from God's perspective and things from the perspective of God's Word. And that's what you get in a church that teaches the Word and reads the Word and believes the Word. And then we get to verse 26. The, probably the reason that I picked this chapter started with verse 20, 26. It's a great testimony of Asaph from where he was to where he came. Verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So Asaph, if you'd follow along with some of these commentators, Asaph went from a but me attitude to a but God attitude in verse 26. And the result of this change And the result of us being here on Sunday mornings and uh, Sunday evenings for the week ahead is that Asaph ended up telling others of God's works. Verse 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. What has God done for you that has been a but God moment in your life? Surely all of us can say that our salvation coming to to trust in God was a but God moment. It wasn't anything that we did. It was what God did. But there's many others, if you really think about it, that huge amount of them when you look back. And as you get older, I can say that you'll recognize more of them. So from what Asaph did to tell of all your works, the question is, what has God done for you that was a but God moment and have you told others? Do you tell others? Do you share some of those with your children, some with your grandchildren. 
those are great opportunities um, to do that. This morning, um, Tom spoke from Romans 11, 33 to 36, and I want to kind of conclude with that. And then I want to mention four takeaways from um, this devotional on that God that we can try to remember for the for this week, for the days ahead. But what Tom spoke on is so fits in so well with what we have talked about regarding who God is and what he has done. Starting with verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This God who is in the but God statements, that, that's all about him. From, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Asaph was in the condition of being one who didn't seem to understand the mind of the Lord, or what God was doing. He was questioning it. And then he went back to God's word and recognized who he should be serving. So four takeaways. These are for me. I'm not just preaching uh, to you. This is for me. Don't neglect corporate worship or gathering together. That helps us reset our minds, helps us get a different perspective. Number two, I need God's truth, the Word. And I add this to it because I see so many getting caught, in, caught up in blogs, online blogs and news, and that's all they talk about. We need God's Word to get, the, to get God's perspective. Remember the but God moments in Scripture, or if you didn't remember very many, study them. Um, and the but God moments in your life. And then tell others of those. That's a great way to um, share your faith and encourage others in the next generations. And a challenge and Maybe I'll take it up sometime, but this study on the but gods of Scripture, if there's 44 of them, I thought that could make a good Sunday school quarter by going through all those and organizing them into 10 to 12 sessions or small group. So someone want to take those up, Joel would appreciate it. So... Um, I encourage you uh, to look at those and maybe 
uh, study that on your own. And for sure, as you're reading through Scripture, maybe you'll be more aware of those two little words, and it'll, it'll change your life. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being the only God that can have that God said about him, because you're the only one that can act, and you're the only one that cares and uh, can carry through. And you're the only one that's all-powerful. So thank you tonight uh, for who you are. And as we've uh, worshipped you you today, we pray that uh, because of that time together and looking into your word, that that will uh, encourage us for this week ahead and that you would uh, go before us and that we would be more mindful of you rather than all the things that are going on in the world and the uh, struggles and fears and uh, challenges that we have ourselves. Help us to depend on you and trust in you this week. Pray that you'd be with the cruises as they travel back tomorrow and uh, give them safety and just another good day as a family on their vacation. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.